1: Three good friends went to high school in Washington, DC, and after they graduated, they went their separate ways. One of them migrated all the way to York, Pennsylvania. Yes, he did. The other one settled in New Jersey. Believe it or not, pray for that guy. The third one went to New York City, New York, New York. Now, 20 years passed after they went to high school together in Washington, D.C. Then they got their invitation for their high school reunion. They all, without contacting each other because they lost touch with each other, went to Washington, D.C. And by a strange set of coincidences, they all decided at the same time on the same day, the same moment, to take a tour of the White House. So all three of these friends who haven't seen each other in 20 years now converge at the White House. They reconnect and they can't believe that they chose the same day, the same time, to do the same exact thing after 20 years. They're beside themselves. They begin to catch up as they're talking with each other. And uh, that strange set of coincidences. Each one of them had become a building contractor. You know, somebody who builds homes, renovates buildings, that type of a thing. They're beside themselves. Well, the guy who's in charge of the White House, building and grounds maintenance program, Here's these guys interacting and says, boy, this is amazing, did I hear you guys right? That you're all here for your high school reunion? They say, yes, that's right. And did I also hear right that you have not seen each other for 20 years? That's right, we haven't seen each other for 20 years. And did I also hear, the thing that really impresses me is that you're all contractors. You renovate and build buildings, houses, and commercial properties, that's right. Well, he says, this is amazing, you know, we have a fence around the White House and the fence needs to be repaired. You know, with a government job, you get different contractors and the lowest bidder gets the job. I'd like you guys, if you wouldn't mind while you're here for your high school reunion, later on in the day, I wouldn't mind if you would give us a bid on repairing the White House fence. So they say, hey, no problem, sounds good to me. So the first guy up, as the guy from New Jersey. The guy from New Jersey goes to his car, gets out a tape measure, takes out his smartphone, starts doing some measuring of this fence, some calculating, comes back, and he says, well, I got my price. Guy says, well, what is it? He says, it's $250.15. $250.15, how do you justify that? He says, well, it's really easy. $150.15 for the materials and $100 profit for me. He says, okay. Next up is the guy from York, Pennsylvania. Guy from York, Pennsylvania grabs the smartphone out of the hand of the guy from New Jersey. Grabs the tape measure, begins to do some measuring, some calculating. Takes about 10 or 15 minutes, comes back and says, I've got my price. The guy says, well, what is it? He says, it's $550.15. He says, $550.15, how do you justify that? He says, oh, it's really easy. $150.15 $150.15 for the materials and $400 profit for me. This is okay, interesting. Next up is the guy from New York City guy from New York City doesn't have a smartphone, doesn't have a tape measure, doesn't even have a pad to write things on or a pen or anything like that. In fact, he doesn't even go and take a look at the fence without batting an eyelash. He turns to the guy who's the head of the buildings and ground at the White House and he says, oh, it's easy, $2,250.15. The guy says, $2,250.15, how do you justify that? The guy from New York City says, oh, it's really easy. $1,000 for you? thousand dollars from me and we hire the guy from New Jersey. That's the way we do it in New York City, baby. That's right. That's the way. You know, this Thursday, true story, we're supposed to break ground. The contractor's supposed to break ground on the house we're having built. Is that not exciting? We think it's exciting. We're making York our home. Hope you don't mind that we plan on staying here for a long time. So the builder is breaking ground this Thursday or Friday. Knock wood. He's not from New York City, I'm happy to say. He's from York, Pennsylvania. So we believe he's a good guy. But you know, it got me to thinking that every single one of us is building something. Or renovating something. Every single one of us, you're either building or you're renovating. Every single one of us, and you're doing it right now. You're going to be doing it this week. What do I mean when I say that? It's going to become clear as we look at our Father's Word together in Luke chapter 6. If you've got a smartphone, you can follow along using the God Factor app. If you're using a tablet, just click on the Bible tab using the God Factor app, and you can follow me, or do it old school in the Word of God, paper, ink, in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built or founded upon the rock. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. In other words, it fell with a mighty crash. Jesus has been teaching. On the side of the mountainside, he stopped at a level place and he's been teaching them counterintuitive teachings, countercultural instructions. Jesus has been against the rationalized thinking that many of us embrace today in American culture. Just like back in Jesus' day, people tend to be rationalists, wanted to explain things, understand things. Now, it's not bad to understand things. Of course, you've got a brain, you're supposed to use it. Some of us need to use our brains much more than we already use them. But we need to be careful that we don't use our brains to such a degree that we rationalize away the teachings of Jesus, that we explain away the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is stopping here at the end, and it's important what Luke is doing. He's summarizing the teaching that we've just spent a number of weeks looking at in our Father's word. And now he's bringing it home by recording for us how Jesus brings it all together, ties it all together as he begins to move us forward. Luke begins to move us forward and what he's saying here He's helping us understand that Jesus now wants us to apply what he's been teaching. Here we are 2,000 years after the fact, and Jesus' teaching is still relevant. It's still practical, and you and I struggle with the same things the people who heard Jesus firsthand would have struggled with. We tend to rationalize. We tend to explain away the teachings of Jesus because if we're paying attention and we're not members of the nighttime Bible reading society, reading the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed, missing things... If we have our eyes wide open, we're paying attention, we would take note that Jesus' teachings are counterintuitive. Jesus' teachings go against what you and I would naturally gravitate toward, the way that you and I would live our lives. And what Jesus is doing is he would make a phenomenal attorney. He's anticipating the objections to following him. He's anticipating the rationalism. He's anticipating the buts. But Jesus, you don't understand. That doesn't make sense because what Jesus has been teaching about, he's saying in verse 20 of Luke chapter 6, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. What? Verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus referring to himself. What? What? Blessed, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. What, I mean if I'm rich, I've got money, I can take care of myself, why is that a bad thing? Well being rich isn't bad, it's your attitude when you're rich that can be bad and be corrupted. It's your security, where you put your security, in your riches or in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Verse 26, but woe to you when all people speak well of you. What? I thought it was a good thing to have a good reputation. Well, it's a good thing to have a good reputation, but more important, it's good to have a godly reputation. If people are speaking well of you, remember that they spoke well of the false prophets too. Jesus says, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic, your undergarment either. Give them everything, give to everyone who begs from you. And interesting, the word that's used there when Jesus, in the original language, this is really fascinating, the word that's used, I don't know that it really gets driven home in the English the way it does in the original language, but follow me. the word that's actually used in the original language when it says here, give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. The word that's actually used in the original Greek language, I know that many of us are not scholars, we don't have privilege to this information but the word that's actually used there actually means everyone. <laughs> and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Quoting from Leviticus 19. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you, a good measure, relationally. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Treat other people the way God would want you to treat them. Treat other people with love and respect and mercy. As your Father in heaven treats people, isn't God merciful to you? Isn't God loving to you? Is there any one of us who deserves the mercy of God? Is there any one of us who deserves the grace, the undeserved favor of God? And so as you're maturing in your walk with Christ, you should be extending to other people things that they don't deserve because you've received. If you're a follower of Christ, things you don't deserve. And so Jesus is flying in the face of the culture, flying in the face of human nature. Haven't you noticed that this morning you woke up with something called the flesh? You thought it was going to be a great day until as you were hurrying and scampering and sucking down your breakfast, getting your way here, making your way here, you realize that there was a thought or two that raced through your mind, came up on the screen of your indoor movie theater that nobody else can see. Some thought in your heart that you were wrestling with, something that came out of your mouth that you said, particularly how ironic ironic it is that I'm on my way to church and these things come through my mind and they're flying out of my mouth. You know, it's called the flesh. And Jesus is well acquainted with the flesh, that's why he came and died on the cross. It's the greatness of our God that he would anticipate your need and my need before we even understand it while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. Everything that Jesus is teaching here is counterintuitive. Everything that he's saying goes against the flesh. You need a renovation in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That renovation is never over until you meet Jesus face to face. If you've never met Jesus yet, you haven't yet given your life to Jesus Christ, there's got to be a groundbreaking in your life. We're doing it with our house this Thursday or Friday, but spiritually speaking, there's got to be a moment in your life where the ground is initially broken, where the Spirit of God invades your space, tills up the hardness of your heart, opens up your eyes, and helps you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. We're all either breaking ground or in the process of perpetual spiritual renovation. Where are you? Jesus says in verse 40 A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. See, it's a mark of maturity to be counterintuitive it's a mark of maturity to be walking with Jesus and to be making decisions in your life that you otherwise would not be making it is absolutely counterintuitive it's not rational in the fleshly sense of the word to follow Jesus but it's mature and it's spiritual and if you're really Engaged in a spiritual renovation in your own life if you're really following the Master. If you really are calling Him Lord, Lord, and doing what He says, there's a revolution happening in your life where you're putting the Word of God into action. There's no power in reading the Word of God and not applying it. Certainly, there's power in the Word of God. But in terms of your renovation, in terms of you maturing and going further in your walk with Christ, the power comes, the blessing comes, listen, the blessing comes when you put the word of God into practice. This week, this week, got an email from somebody who's new to Grace Fellowship. You might be here right now. Don't worry, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not saying your name, but you sent an email And it says this, we've been to a lot of other churches, but we haven't been to any church like this. I wish we would have started coming a year ago. We might not be in a couple of the predicaments that we are in today if we were hearing the word and applying it to our lives. We should close in prayer right now. That's powerful. Our family has changed since we've been attending. There's a happiness about the house, and our daughter sounds just like the bumper sticker. She asks her father as, uh, and I all week long, is it Sunday yet? So you might not have been here. We have these stickers that say, is it Sunday yet? And you can maybe get them today. If we're out of them today, we sold out of them the first week, I know. We ordered a boatload of them more, and we have these vinyl ones that are easy to remove because some of you asked, we're listening. But the sticker says, is it Sunday yet? Because there's an excitement about what God is doing here at Grace Fellowship. There's an enthusiasm, and this person captures the reality. It says, the email ends by saying, we enjoy Grace Fellowship immensely. It's a family time. Did you catch that statement? About how their life has changed as they've been applying the word of God? The book of James says, do not merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, be doers of the word. The power of God through his priceless, matchless word, the Bible is unleashed in your life and mind as we apply what God has given us. This is a book unlike any other book. It's such a book that man wouldn't write if he could and couldn't write if he would. This is a book unlike any other book on the face of the earth. There'll never be another book like it. And it needs to be taken off the shelf, taken off the coffee table and put into your heart. You've got to get this word into your life. And Jesus anticipating that there would be many people who would hear his words and not put them into action says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Emphatically, master, master, and not do what I tell you. Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been showing them that your life as a follower of Jesus Christ must be different than it would otherwise be if you were not a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. If we, as a body, Would take our personal walks, each one of us individually, with greater seriousness, this particular four verses of scripture, verses 46 to 49, if we would begin to apply those in our personal lives, putting the word of God into action, there would be a revival, a spiritual awakening right here out of Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania, that would be known throughout the United States and be known throughout the world. That would happen. We don't need another person to begin to come to the church. There's already enough people, more people than Jesus would have had if following his whole three-year ministry, closely, intimately. And I'm talking about a spiritual awakening, a revival that's biblical, not wacky. With all these wacky things, I don't know why these, these heretics and false teachers and false prophets have hijacked the precious word revival if you see somebody barking like a dog or writhing around on the floor and drawing attention to themselves and rather than drawing attention to Jesus that's not a biblical revival if you hear somebody talking about a sign and a wonder an alleged sign and a wonder an alleged sign and a wonder see any sign and wonder if it's from God must be confirmed from God otherwise I say this respectfully you're a knucklehead did I say that strongly enough Absolutely. let me say it a little more strongly if you're following somebody because of the sign and wonder and you don't know that that's truly from God or it's drawing attention to somebody other than Jesus you're a knucklehead when God doesn't work And it's a spiritual awakening and he revives his word. He causes people to dust off the book like in Josiah's time in the Old Testament when King Josiah came and they found the book of the law and he dusted it off and he rented his robes, he ripped his garments and they rediscovered the word of God. They were beginning to apply the word of God that they had forgotten the revival was on. I love what Gypsy Smith said. They asked him, he was a revivalist years ago, and they asked him, how do you start a revival? He said, you want to know how to start a revival? You go into your room and you close the door. You take out a piece of chalk and you draw a circle on the floor. And then you kneel down inside the circle and you ask God, send a revival on everything inside this circle. And when God has answered your prayer, the revival is on. It's the application of God's word, my friends. That's what unleashes the Holy Spirit in your life. When you are a surrendered person, when you are truly surrendered to God, when you're taking the word of God and you're applying it and putting it into practice in your life, when you're living a counterintuitive Life when you're not depending upon rationalism, but you're depending upon following God, regardless of what the consequences are. Listen, you don't know what the future holds. God does. God's not asking you to figure out the future until you decide whether it makes sense to follow him. In fact, that can be one of the greatest obstacles to your life. Stop trying to figure out the ifs, the buts, the what ifs. You don't need to know what your obedience is going to result in. You just need to know that the one who's calling you to be obedient is praiseworthy. He's trustworthy Leave the consequences up to God And stop trying to figure out the future If we began to do that in this church Let's forget the country for a moment If we began to do that in this church, this church would go forward as a group of maturing people for the glory of God. This church would continue to become everything that Jesus had in mind for her when he hung on the cross. Your life would begin to become everything that Jesus envisioned for you when he hung on the cross. Jesus does have a plan for your life. He does envision good, wonderful, God-sized, unbelievable, impossible to comprehend humanly speaking things for your life. You just have to get with God's program. You have to take what you're hearing from the Word of God, what you're reading from the Word of God, and you have to begin to apply it in your life regardless of what you see other people doing. Listen, if you're not convinced of this, let me convince you of it even more so. There are a lot of people who are hearing the Word of God all around this nation. They're hearing it. They hear it every Sunday A lot of people with Bible degrees, a lot of people are teaching others, but they're not applying it in their own life. It's what you apply from the word of God that will transform you. Knowledge puffs up. Application will bring a renovation in your life. It'll bring a transformation in your life. And Jesus is anticipating the obstacles. People saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? It seems to me like Jesus is consumed, deeply concerned with the application of his teaching. Many of us in our walks with Christ should be much further along in our journey of humility. Much further along in our service for the Lord. We've allowed the buts and the what ifs and the I don't understand and the rationalization trying to figure everything out to get in the way of simple obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he is like. Verse 48, he, the person who does what they hear The person who does what they read, this is what they're like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built or founded upon the rock. But the one who hears and does not do them. In other words, it doesn't matter that you know what Jesus is teaching. It doesn't matter. Merely knowing what Jesus teaches is not going to save you from the flood. It's not going to save you from the stream. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Do you know that there's a flood coming? There is a flood coming in your life. In fact, not just one flood, but there are three streams as well. There is one flood, Three streams, and we're going to talk about that. People have asked me if I'm a prepper. Some of you might be preppers. Some of you listening by podcast might be preppers. The question is, what kind of a prepper are you? You know what a prepper is. Somebody, there was this television show, Doomsday Prepper. Some of you have probably watched that. Others of you, storing up food and water and ammunition, if you can even find it, to buy. Prepping for some type of a national catastrophe, some type of a difficult situation, the term prepper has become quite common. And preppers have garnered a strange reputation, mocking, laughing. I'm sure that Noah was considered to be a nut job. We know that. People were eating and drinking right up to the day that Noah got into his ark. So people have asked me if I'm a prepper. Yes, I am a prepper, spiritually speaking, and you should be too. You should be a spiritual prepper because if you do things the way Jesus says, if you build your house, if you build your life on the rock of the teachings of Jesus, on the person of Jesus Christ, when the flood comes and it is coming, you will be prepared. No stream will overtake you. No difficulty and hardship will overtake you. Now, notice that Jesus is not saying there will not be a stream. There will be a stream. The flood is coming. It's not that there won't be hardship. It's just that you will be in a place of stability. There are three types of streams, one of which is found in Luke chapter 21, verse 10. Luke chapter 21, verse 10, the eschatological or prophetic stream. There is an eschatological or prophetic stream, a flood that is coming. Now, some of us will be part of that, maybe. Some of us won't be a part of that. That has to deal with when. Jesus comes back and the times preceding the return of Jesus. Eschatology, a fancy word for end times. There's an end times flood coming. We may or may not be around when that happens, but here's where it's spoken of in Luke chapter 21, verse 10. Then he said to them, Jesus, nation will rise against nation. The word that's used for nation is actually ethnic group. Isn't that interesting in today's time? Ethnic group will rise against ethnic group and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and governors for my name's sake." This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Look at that verse right there. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. The small verse that if you blink, you miss it. That the objective in your life and mine, the objective in the end times is to bear witness for Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, eat, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives there's an eschatological and end times prophetic flood that's coming on the earth difficult hardships we may or may not be around those of us who are hearing what the Lord is saying right now we may or may not be around but the solution to that day if we are here if these times escalate And hardship comes and floods come. And I know that there are good people who disagree in terms of the timing and the circumstance. Pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, and then the people who are struggling over here who don't believe in the rapture. That's a friendly joke I'm saying there. I still love you. People can disagree about the timing and the circumstances, but make no mistake about what Jesus is saying. There is an end times flood coming upon the earth. We are marching toward the return of Jesus Christ, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. I don't want to get hung up on all kinds of debates about the timing and the circumstance as much as the certainty. He is coming back. The angels, when Jesus ascended on the Mount of Olives, said, why are you looking up in amazement? This same Jesus who you just saw up is coming back in the same way. If the literal sense makes sense, everything else is nonsense. That's the way it's going to happen. What do we do? The world is changing at a rapid pace. How do we prepare for that? Yes, it's good to have food. It's good to have water. It's good to have some supplies stocked up and to be prepared. It's good to have your financial house in order. It's good to have your material house in order so that you can be spiritually prepared. But the fundamental way that you can be a prepper for Jesus is to make sure that you're building your life on his teachings centered upon his personhood. If you're not doing that, when the flood comes, your house is going to come crashing down. The torrent is gonna come against your house and you're gonna come crashing down. You've gotta trust Jesus, you've gotta hold on to him as your lifeboat for dear life and not a hair on your head will perish. God's got it under control. The eschatological end times flood is coming. Instead of worrying about it, be concerned about your witness for Christ because that's what God wants you to be concerned about and not a hair on your head will perish. That's how you prep. Secondly, there's another type of a flood, another type of a stream that's coming. And every single one of us, regardless of whether you want to be or not, you're in it. You're in it right now. It's the outside of Eden flood. We're all living outside of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, look with me in our Father's word. Look what it says here, Genesis chapter 3. Beginning in verse 16, to the woman he said, God speaking, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now hold it one second there. The idea of pain and childbirth, the idea of enmity between a man and a woman. You know that marital conflict you're having? It's part of living outside of Eden, the struggle between a man and a woman who's really leading the family. Should I lead it as the man? Should I lead it as the woman? It's part of the difficulty of living outside of Eden, part of the crash. Oftentimes we call it the fall. It's part of the disciplinary hand of God the consequence of living outside of Eden and disobeying. This whole thing of man and woman and who's supposed to lead is part of a consequence of the fall. So you don't believe in the fall? You don't believe in a literal literal Adam and Eve? Do you not believe that the difficulty between the sexes is a reality today? The hardship within the family trying to figure out who's in charge and who does what? is proof and evidence that the Bible is true. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. All of us are dealing with the flood, the streams of living outside of Eden, the consequences of living outside of Eden, whether you've given your life to Christ or whether you haven't. Haven't you noticed that life is hard? And many of us are trying to create a paradise outside of Eden that is not possible because of the judgment of God upon the human race and upon the earth. There is a judgment that all of us are under. All creation groans, the Apostle Paul talks about, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. All of creation, we might not hear it with our own ears, but it's true spiritually, biblically, that we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. We're awaiting for a new heavens and a new earth where those of us who have given our lives to Christ will rule and reign with him forever in humility, drawing our attention to Jesus, drawing the attention of others to him who sits on the throne and is worthy to be praised forever and ever. So there's an eschatological flood and streams that result from that. There's a living outside of Eden flood and streams that result from that. And then, of course, there is the following Jesus stream, the following Jesus trouble. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Something about following Jesus makes a difference where people will think you're a nut job. It's counterintuitive. It does not make sense to follow Jesus unless you're maturing in Jesus and you're going to put his teachings into action. There's consequences because other people around you, even people who say that they know Jesus, Lord, Lord, they'll say Lord, Lord about Jesus. They will give you sometimes the hardest difficulty because when you really start getting serious about following Jesus and you begin to pull away from the pack, people will either follow you because they're seeing what's happening in your life and they want to follow you as you're following Christ or people will spurn you and ridicule you and mock you and make fun of you. Who cares about being mocked and ridiculed by people who are not interested in putting the words of Jesus into action? Who cares? Listen, you're going to have problems in your life. Listen very carefully. You are going to have problems in your life whether you follow God or whether you hate God and don't follow him or whether you're in between and you're lukewarm. Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth in Revelation. You're going to have problems in your life, whether you're following God, whether you're lukewarm for God, which is, might as well not be following him at all in Jesus' perspective, or whether you're red hot against God. Would you rather have the kind of problems that come from rejecting God and being lukewarm toward him, because they are going to have problems anyway, or would you rather have the kind of problems that come when you follow God, when you're walking in surrender to him, and you're walking in his favor. You're going to have problems whether you like it or not. As for me, I'd rather have the kind of problems that come from following God because God and me is a majority. When I built my house on the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ, there is no flood. There is no stream that can prevail. There are all types of streams, all types of difficulties that will make my house crash, bring my house down with a loud boom if I'm not living my life after the person and teachings of Jesus Christ. I don't want those kind of troubles, do you? I want the kind of troubles that I will be able to endure when the floods come and the streams come and the difficulties come because me and Jesus are close because I've given my life to Jesus Christ because he is worthy because as an entity as a person as the living and true God he's more powerful than any flood and any stream that can come my way his teachings are worthy to be followed even if they are counterintuitive and don't make sense rationally I got another email on Friday from somebody who goes to Grace Fellowship, and this is what it said. Good evening, Pastor Mike. God used the message this week in an interesting way in my life. Whenever I get an email that starts off that way, I kind of sit up and say, let's see what the word interesting is defined as. You read but did not spend too much time on verses 29 and 30. I love that that's the case because it's not what I said. It's what the Word of God said and how God spoke to this person. Verses 29 and 30 of chapter 6, Luke's Gospel say this, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. See, I mentioned that last time together, but I didn't go into much detail because we don't have the time to be able to exhaust everything that should be exhausted. So this person says you read but did not spend too much time on verses 29 and 30, which I just read, but that did not stop the Lord from finishing a work he started in my heart over 10 years ago. Years ago, we started having the family Thanksgiving dinner here in our home. It was becoming too much for my mother-in-law. The first year, it's convenient, it's the mother-in-law, isn't it? The first year we hosted, a relative stole a significant sum of money from me. The next few weeks were brutal. I was so upset that a person I previously trusted would come into my home and wrong me that way. I asked for the return of the money. The person was appalled that I would accuse them. After many heartbreaking rounds, the money was returned. For several years thereafter, I was careful to keep my valuables locked up or on my person. Wouldn't you do that? Apart from listening to Jesus. I've long since forgiven them but the Lord was not done with me. Many times in the ensuing years, I would read that passage and the Lord would say, quote, what do you think about what I say here, End quote. Or, quote, do you think that could apply to you, End quote. The last time I was confronted with that passage, I finally knew in my heart that it would have been better to just let the person keep the money. It would have been much less emotional stress and also less damage to the relationship. Listen to this, this week he, God, prompted me to make amends as best I could with the passage of time. I purchased the money order for the amount in question, then returned it in a letter to the individual asking for forgiveness for insisting on my rights and what was quote unquote fair and not doing things God's way. God's way often seems counterintuitive but not doing things his way caused much more angst and was more destructive to our relationship than if I had obeyed his teaching in the first place. The change in our relationship took me out of their circle and limited my ability to help them and to be a positive influence in their lives. See, this person understands the bigger picture. Influence in people's lives. They should have received a letter today. I've not heard from them and I may not. However, I'm waiting with anticipation to see what God will do next. Wow. What's going on in your life, in God's work of renovation as you're putting the words of Jesus into practice? Here's somebody who is allowing the counterintuitive teachings of Jesus to take hold of their life, not waiting for people to respond, not waiting for somebody to get up and applaud. They're doing it based on what the Word of God is teaching them. See, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is not vague and general. He's specific. He works with surgical precision. When God moves, he shows you what the light at the end of the tunnel is. It's not a train. It's Jesus. When the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks through the word of God. Here's somebody who's being impacted by the clear teaching of scripture, reading a passage of scripture, and the Lord speaks to them and says, how does this apply to you? Do you think that passage could apply to you? Has that ever happened to you? Well, God has spoken to you in a passage of scripture and said, how does this apply to you? And the resulting response, the application might be counterintuitive, and we get into the but. Lord, if I deaden the water, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Do you not want to be built on the foundation that no flood, no stream, no demon from hell, no relational difficulty, No eschatological end times nightmare will ever be able to wash away. Don't you want to be built with that type of certainty and assurance and confidence? Our master is a master builder. And he knows, he knows how to lay down a great foundation. And he knows how to build not only a beautiful structure, but a solid one that will endure any difficulty you'll ever face. It's based on faith in who he is, his person, and putting into practice what he says.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.